This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Happy Friday. Welcome to the program. I'm Sean Drotar. Sandy Clough is off today. We'll be back on Monday, but we'll have a busy show for you just the same. Arif Dean is going to join us to talk about the Colorado Avalanche Swiper. That's right. If you're a, a YouTuber, social media that's kind of consuming some of your uh, Nuggets content. Of course, he works with Miley Sports as well. He will join us in just about an hour to talk about the Denver Nuggets as well because there is a lot going on. The, the, the Nuggets will get the NBA Cup tipped off tonight. Uh, we will endeavor to figure out what that is before the show ends, joining a whole bunch of NBA players. Uh, the obviously very blandly named NBA Cup is named thusly in the hopes that some company will then sponsor it and it will be named the you put your company name here for millions of dollars cup for x number of years i mean that's why uh, originally kind of funny it was it was originally gonna be called the david stern cup apparently in a bunch of meetings uh which i'm all for n- not naming things after david stern but uh they went with the nba cup because um you can sell that because as we know it gets very complicated when you start trying to do things with uh uh, this person at this thing, the David Stern Cup presented to you by whatever internet company for the next five years, and then it'll be the David Stern Cup presented by the whatever. Uh, anyway, the, the the Maui Jim Maui Invitational, right? Maui Jim Maui thing. Invitational, right? Brought to you by Maui Jim, right? Exactly. <laughs> you have all sorts of those things, and uh, we'll we'll talk more about it. I mean, I'm I'm not opposed. I'm actually perfectly fine with the NBA Cup. I don't know if I really care. Maybe it turns into something. Maybe it doesn't. But since you're just using regular season games and it's just a sequence of them. Uh, to my mind, no no real harm done. If you go into the title game, you do have to play one additional game. You play 83 instead of 82. And uh, I guess that could be a slight annoyance, but uh, I don't think people will care that much. The problem, of course, is uh, there is a real incentive. It's kind of funny that the money, of course, in sports has gone bonkers. Uh, the winners of the tournament get an extra half a million dollars each. And for normal humans... That would be amazing. If Danny Bailey and I had half a million each, I'd, I'd, I'm not sure we'd be here today. We'd, don't, we'd be on a beach somewhere. And <laughs> so this thing is going to be a financial and cultural disaster. Yeah. Was, don't so, give me a half a million dollars. Right. Sipping my ties on a beach somewhere. Or waiting for the Maui Jim Maui Invitational brought to you by Maui Jim. Watching some basketball or something. But the uh, for, for certain players, that matters. You know, for younger players, that matters. Uh, for Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray and Aaron Gordon and Nikola Jokic, extra half a million dollars. It's nice, but you just kind of throw it on the pile. Uh, for Julian Strouther or Hunter Tyson or Jalen Pickett or Braxton Key, uh, those guys, hey, that's um, that's a, that's something you want. So I, I have no problem with it. We'll get into it in a little bit. But the there's obviously a lot going on, even though the Broncos are on by fascinating week in the NFL uh, some really interesting games uh, going on there as well, and you'll want to keep an eye on it. If the Broncos truly believe that they can get back into the mix here, you know, we'll we'll find out for sure how the rest of this league shakes out and see what the AFC looks like. So we'll talk about them as well. But we start up in Boulder with the Colorado Buffaloes because uh, things get interesting all of a sudden today as the news that there will be a change in the way play calling is handled for starting in Saturday night's game against Oregon State. Now, I'm presuming that they didn't decide that this morning, 
hopefully, because the game's, you know, tomorrow. But uh, they decided instead to explain it. And Pat Shermer, for a while in, in, in the summer, we were asking about it. I think a lot of people were asking about it. Like, huh, Pat Shermer's on the staff. Uh, and the term was originally hired as an analyst. I don't know what that meant, necessarily. But Pat Shermer is now taking over play-calling duties from offensive coordinator Sean Lewis. Shermer has been promoted to co-offensive coordinators, according to Adam Rittenberg of ESPN. That is always an intriguing thing because I don't know what that means. Now, Lewis is also the quarterback's coach. Shermer is also apparently going to help a little bit with the offensive line, which he has a, a lot of experience on. But it's intriguing to see this happen. And it is the Buffs' second straight loss after UCLA in a game that they were only down one at halftime, had a chance to, to win a game in which they, quite frankly, they otherwise really didn't have any business to win. I don't have a problem. Even though Sean Lewis was touted, we were hearing people across the NFL going, you know, wow, people, Sean Lewis is going to get some looks. And the NFL, after the Buffs' terrific start to the season, when they were 3-0, and but since then they've been they're 1-4. They've lost four out of five. And they're only win a very narrow one over Arizona State. That one, obviously, somewhat neutralized by a disastrous, embarrassing loss to Stanford in which they blew the largest lead in program history, a 29-0 lead, to lose that game. Now they have to find a way to win two of their final four to become bowl eligible, and it's not going to be easy. Oregon State is 16th ranked in the country. They'll be in tomorrow. That game kicks off at 8 p.m. on ESPN. Then you have Arizona at home. That's the home finale. Then road against Washington State and against Utah, which is currently ranked 18th, and that's a tough place to play too. It doesn't feel like Oregon State's one of the games they're going to get realistically you'd have to find a way to probably beat arizona at home and then steal one on the road against washington state that's going to be tough but i don't have a problem with the change i'm not necessarily opposed to sean lewis and his ability i think i still think highly of him i like that higher but the truth of the matter is in the last month the oregon loss for the 42-6 loss that was to be expected they, that was where they were really going to face a real juggernaut team, and they got rocked, looked like it. The USC game, they had a, they had a chance to win, 48-41. Offense not necessarily an, an issue there. Arizona State, they won the game. They had to win it late. Uh, the offense started to look a little wobbly. Stanford, it looked great with that 29-0 lead. Some of those things were, you know, Stanford making mistakes as well. And then the Buffaloes couldn't keep pace with a team that was expected by most to be last place in the Pac-12 that also, during the game, lost their tight end and leading receiver, Benjamin Urasa. So that loss was a disaster. And then in UCLA, they got garbage points at the end to make it look better. That mattered to certain, as they say on footballs. I love how they dance around it on the broadcast. That, that score might matter to certain people. Just say it. You mean the, the betters? The betters on the spread? Just say what it is. In between, when you're trying to dance around it on TV, your television network is running like 18 gambling commercials. Yeah, you get a nice little, and this game is over right? type of thing. Yeah. And, you know, you well, can just say it. They try to dance around it and like, oh, we'll go over to our sponsor, FanDuel. Well, yeah, I mean, okay, whatever. We get it. Like, all the gambling stuff is, is there. You know, college at least doesn't have it, I guess. But, I mean, it's, it's even funnier when they do it in the pros. 
because they can officially go. And the officials betting sponsor of the NFL or the official betting sponsor of this team or the official betting sponsor of this team's practice facility or the official betting sponsor of this team's practice facility's locker room. Like, I think we get it. Sports betting's legal almost everywhere. You don't have to dance around it as if, you know, you're calling some shady guy back in Jersey. You know, well, what was the spread? It was like, oh, okay, well, the bus lost by 12. Did I have him at 12 and a half? Okay, great. I mean, everyone knew what it was. It's transparent. Just say it. Stop dancing around it. It's weird. It's just strange. Everyone knows what you're talking about. It was funny for a while. It's funny if Al Michaels does it because Al Michaels did it when it was taboo, <laughs> when, when it wasn't legal anywhere, and he kind of was wink, wink, nod, nod. I know what you're concerned he about. He said, I have money on this one, too. Yeah, so he's allowed He's allowed to keep doing it. He's grandfathered in. Al Michaels can keep making the jokes, but everyone else, we get it. Just say it. It's fine. But the offense has been a problem. And it's not really the lack of scoring on the whole. It's the lack of flexibility. Because for a while now, the Buffalo's offensive line, and the defensive line for that matter too, but the Buffalo's offensive line, some of it is injury. A lot of it is just the talent level is not there. Remember, there are nine holdover athletes from last year in total with the Buffs. Two of them are on the offensive line as starters. (laughs) It's, it's the weakest part of the team. Everyone knows that, and teams now know it. And it's been quite a while since teams have been deciding to just send the house at Shadur Sanders. They know the Buffs aren't a particularly good running team. Dylan Edwards is a very talented runner, but he weighs what I weigh. And let me tell you how often you want to have me running up the middle. Spoiler alert, not often. I know he's faster, stronger, and younger and all that, but still. He weighs like a buck 70. That's not the guy you want going between the tackles. So they know they can't run. Unfortunately, I think the Buffs were counting on Alton McCaskill to be better. He's just not quite all the way back from the ACL. He has requested and gotten the medical red shirt for this year as well because he only played the four games. If he played one more, he wouldn't have been able to get it. He requested and asked for it, and that's great. That's great for the Buffs. Hopefully you have a healthy McCaskill next year, and that's an, an impact player. But everyone knows the Buffs can't run. And it is basically Shadur Sanders trying to find someone deep. The other problem is because, and this is, I think, some of the challenges with the offense, they have not really worked on giving Shadur Sanders other outlets. Delayed runs, draws, screens, short crossing routes. I'm only slightly exaggerating when I say that Jimmy Horn's the only guy on the team that runs a crossing route. Marion Miller and... Travis Hunter, they send him down the field. Xavier Weaver, they're just sending him down the sidelines. Jimmy Horn's a crosser. There's a medium option sometimes in tight end Michael Harrison, who's actually has really good rapport with Sanders. There's a lack of creativity, and there's sort of a lack of the understanding. You know, if, if everyone knows that the offensive line problem exists, and if everyone knows that it is not fixable until next season, then as the play caller, as the coordinator, you need to start designing plays and working on ways to scheme around it as best as possible. You just have to. It's no different than when your starting quarterback in the NFL gets hurt and you know he's out for the season. You're not going to be calling the same plays for the backup as you were for your starter. Zach Wilson is not running all the same plays that Aaron Rodgers would have run. That's It's not happening. Joshua Dobbs is not going to go into Minnesota this week and run all the same plays 
that Kirk Cousins was running. You, you compensate. You understand we can't do the things that we were doing or we planned to do. So what can we do now? And you adjust and you adapt. It's not easy. And it doesn't always work. But there has been zero adjustment. And in, in the UCLA game, it was really hard to ignore. That was a one-point game at halftime. The defense was having their best game of the year. And the offense was doing nothing. I'm not exaggerating. On multiple drives, for the majority of the game, they had negative yards. The offense was giving you nothing. You have to alter your approach. Well, after the game, Deion Sanders was asked specifically about his offensive coordinator, Sean Lewis's performance. He didn't take the bait. We talked a little earlier this year about the offensive coordinator learning the quarterback. Yeah. How far along in the process do you think Sean Lewis and Shadour are? And <laughs> what have you thought about Sean's performance so far this year? You can't put me on the spot like that. I think the coaches are doing a, a pretty good job. Thank you. That was a great try. <laughs> Valued effort. You, you got to understand, I, I've sat in your seat for like 17, 18 years. So you understand that. <laughs> so I got to know when it's coming. And, uh, and of course, it was uh, Matt Smith, of course, formerly used to cover the Buffs here, now over at DenverSports.com, asking that question. And he was, he was on track, and Dion admitted it right there. Uh, that's the question to ask. Because the answer, we already, it turns out Dion already knew. And the announcement ends up, uh, there isn't even been, really been an announcement. It's been sort of just uh, multiple reports of having that go. Uh, Adam Rittenberg of ESPN sort of with it first. That Shermer now will take over and handle the offensive play calling duties. Uh, the reports, it's still a little spotty because it hasn't come from uh, Coach Prime or the university yet of how it's going to function. But since Sean Lewis is also the quarterback coach, presumably Lewis remains his quarterback coach. And yes, they'll call them offensive coordinator, but in fact... The de facto alignment is that Shermer's been promoted to offensive coordinator and will call the plays, and Lewis is the quarterback coach. Now, Lewis may still relay them to Sanders' helmet, but Shermer's making the calls. And if you're looking at that and going, oh, Pat Shermer, Pat Shermer, the offensive coordinator for the Broncos in the last two years, with Vic Fangio, uh, yeah, it's it's that it's that Pat Shermer. And if you're thinking Pat Shermer, the guy that the with a terrible head coaching record in the NFL, yeah, it's that's that Pat Shermer, 19 and 46 as a head coach in the NFL. That's a 29 percent winning percentage, not great. But as a coordinator, he had a better run. He used to coach offensive line for Michigan State in the 90s, also offensive line for Stanford, offensive line for the Eagles took over as quarterback's coach for the Eagles and had that role for a while. And then as the offensive coordinator for the Rams, when Steve Spagnuolo was the coach, they made a jump from 1-15 and 15 to 7-9. and nine. And Sam Bradford was the quarterback back there, and he ended up winning the offensive rookie of the year. He had a really good year. It was never that good again. That was under Shermer. And Shermer had success, of course, with Chip Kelly, with the Eagles as the offensive coordinator. But as I pointed out, that another outlet when Pat Shermer was hired here, uh, Chip Kelly calls the plays. So that's a different situation. It's a little bit as, you know, Eric Bieniemy is now getting to call the plays in Washington, but he wasn't really calling the plays in Kansas City. Andy Reid does that. But I don't know if Shermer is going to be able to be a guy that has a, a big difference here. I'm not really convinced that he's the answer. But he has had success with quarterbacks. 
He has had success with young quarterbacks. And the truth of the matter is something had to be done. Everybody in college football knows you just throw the house at Shadur. He's the most sacked quarterback in the country. He is on pace to set the record for the most sacks in a season by a what we used to call D1 quarterback. That's 60. He's on pace to get past that by a bunch. Something has to change. He had to take an injection, apparently, during the game to get through it. So I, I'm okay with this for Shermer in the short term. Interestingly, of course, Deion Sanders has a show with our friend Romy Bean. And Romy and Deion had a back and forth about offensive methodologies a little earlier this week. There's a really cool article that came out recently uh, on ESPN. Check it out if you haven't. But uh, a lot of guys talking about their connection with you, your impact in the NFL I've, and beyond. I've never seen that um, and, and one of them that came out that was really cool that resonates here in Colorado is Mike Shanahan. Had quite a few Coach Shanahan. In there. Yeah, that's my man. Shanahan was saying, Broncos fans are going to be really sad this never happened. He, when he came here, he wanted you bad. He said he yeah. went and picked you up from the airport. He was your Uber driver because he knew you were going to make him a better coach. Yeah. What's your memories of... Uh, Man, let me tell you something. That that was the best offensive-minded coach I've ever seen in my Mm -hmm. life. I remember him going over a certain play call at the Super Bowl in Miami. And he said, okay, the safety's going to do this. They're going to do this. Jerry, you're going to do this. It's going to be a touchdown. And he just walked away from it. And they did it. And lo and behold, I'm sitting on the sideline, and I see the play coming. And it was a touchdown. Yeah. And so much preparation, so much understanding and wisdom. And I called him, of course. You know, I've been to his restaurant as well. Unbelievable human being. And uh, I'm still waiting for him to come over. Come over. He's like, Coach, I got all kind of film for you. If you need to tape on this, I filmed all the meetings I got. I mean, he has a a whole barrage of film and and, and scripts that... uh, a young coach could truly glean from, oh, but just man. the conversation from him yeah. is unbelievable. And this is the crossover we need, Shani and Prime. Yeah. Makes, yeah. Co- put Colorado yeah. people in bliss over here. Yeah. Almost tried to, you know, manifest that stuff into existence. Throw uh, me on her Coach Prime's playbook show. Uh, those are Thursday nights, 6.30 p.m. on CBS News Colorado, by the way. Make sure you check that out. But the, uh, wouldn't that be interesting? I mean, it, it, Sandy's not here, but we've talked about that before. Mike Shannon is looking for things to do. Uh, maybe this works for Shermer. Maybe it does. If it doesn't, and you still want to kind of groom Sean Lewis, who, by the way, we heard Deion Sanders say, hey, what a great opportunity for a young head coach to learn from. Sean Lewis was the head coach at Kent State. He quit that job to take the office coordinator job at Colorado. This is a minor setback for him. But... If it might work, I don't know. I put it this way. If they're pals, I'd keep them on speed dial. Just see after this after the year. If you also know someone who knows how to uh run an offense that can maximize an offensive line, I seem to remember Coach Shanahan having some uh success there as well. I you know, there, there's um maybe. But I, I look I, I think the move is necessary for the buffs. I think it has to happen. I don't know how quickly it's going to work. I don't know if it'll work all that much, but you can't keep having Shooter Sanders get sacked six more times a game, period. Something, you have to change something. Shorter routes, crossing routes, delays, screens, draws, whatever. Um, Shermer's going to crack at it Saturday. We will see. 
This is your program as well. Want to make sure that you have an opportunity to chime in. So, you know, if you'd like to do so, you can always uh, hit us up on the caller text line, 303-831-1340. We're going to move to the Colorado Avalanche after their win at home with backup Ivan Provatsev in net. Provatsev in net, pardon me. Uh, we'll see what they do with this weekend now. Georgiev got his five-day break. Jared Bednar wanted that. We'll talk about it with our own Arif Dean next on Miley Sports. Something's burning, I can't figure out what. what. It's either lust or a cloud of dust. Judgment is clouded, must just be the powder from the power of love. But I'm in something I don't know how to get out of. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Colorado Avalanche come off a bounce back win against the St. Louis Blues earlier in the week. A good performance by them kind of getting the things back right because the road trip came to an uh, ignominious end with back-to-back 4-0 shutouts. They get right against the Blues. Things look pretty good. Some changes in the roster and the lines. Joining us to talk about it from My Life Sports is Arif Dean. You can follow him on social at Run Right Arif. That's A-A. R-I-F. And uh, Eric, let's quickly look back at the Avalanche's 4-1 win over the Blues. Uh, Ivan uh, Prosvetov in net. Uh, looked really good. Obviously, uh, I think in the early going, they needed him to. After that, the Avs kind of had it under control. He wasn't spectacular, but he was solid. It's only one game, but did you see enough to feel comfortable uh, to think that this is a guy that might be able to start 25 to 30 games for this team to make sure that when they get to the playoffs, Alexander Georgiev can remain fresh? From what I saw in that one game, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to be confident uh, just from that performance. I think the big thing here is, you know, we've seen the Avalanche kind of uh, put out some feelers with some other backups. They've tested out guys like Eustace Ananen, you know, Jonas Johansson, think back to Hunter Miska, Devin Dubnik. They always seem to have games where it's like, even when they win, because let's face it, this is a deep avalanche team that could scrape out a win with pretty much anybody in goal. It, it never, it didn't always feel like the goalie was positionally sound and confident and making mm-hmm. saves and playing well. And, and what you saw from Ivan Provera or uh, Ivan Prosvetov, I should say, is, is that he, he was very comfortable. He looked comfortable. He was making the good saves. He wasn't scrambling in his crease. I'm not a huge goalie guy, but I can see a positional, positionally sound goalie when I see one, and, and that's what I saw out of, out of the game he played, obviously with the help of the Avalanche kind of locking it down, like you said, after the first 10 or so minutes. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree, and that was the part I actually you know, I, I do a little bit about goaltenders, and that's what the, the lateral movement was quick enough, uh, but he's kept square to the shooter. He t- cut off the angles when they were there, but I'm with you. The, the trick was, especially with backups, there wasn't a lot of wasted movement, not a lot of flopping from side to side, and that not only makes it easier to make saves, but it also gives the shooters less of an opportunity because they don't have a window. So uh, I, I don't think we're looking at a guy that's immediate all-star, but in front of a very talented Avalanche team, what you need is exactly that. Can you be consistently steady? And hopefully, yeah. you know, game one sure looked like a guy that would be consistently steady. You know, is a good shooter going to beat him? Yeah, probably. At times, that's probably the case. You know, is he going to absolutely steal you a game? No, probably not. But the number of backups in the NHL that could do that, you can count on one hand. So uh, hopefully that they might have found their guy. Uh, we'll see as he plays more. But it's interesting because Georgiev now will have five days off before they tackle Vegas. They get that game tomorrow night in Vegas. 
Jared Bednard said that he wanted to get Alexander Georgiev time when he would just not get a game off, but he would get five full days off. Uh, the yeah. idea behind wondering why, you know, uh, Prosvetov hadn't played yet, there wasn't that opportunity. Now we got it because with Prosvetov playing against the Blues and getting a win, it will be five full days of rest for, uh, for Alexander Georgiev because now the Avs uh, get Vegas on Tuesday and then they get back here for New Jersey. But this game against Vegas, it is one game out of 82, but it feels like a statement, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and that's the big thing. I mean, I will reiterate because, you know, we talked about this last week uh, with you, me, and Sandy, and, and we even uh, I, I've written about it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do need to reiterate that their schedule has helped give them the ability to play Georgiev because of those days off. And, you know, tomorrow's November 4th. They're going to play the Vegas Golden Knights, and then they have two days off before the game on the 7th against the Devils. So I'm going to make the assumption that Georgiev is going to get both those games yeah. because of those extra days off. Um, but yeah, the, the, the word you used was, was perfect. Capital S steady. That's what you got out of Ivan Prosvetov and that's what you need out of your backup goalie. Um, I also think that, you know, there is a possibility that he can steal you a game. We don't know, but what we saw was if you just need that steady positionally sound goalie, you're going to get that out of somebody like him. Again, it was one game. Uh, but my favorite part about that performance was his ability to make that really early save. Um, mm-hmm. where he, uh, where it was that cross the crease, if you remember, yep. they went, uh, it was Cairo to George, to Braden Shen. And he went left to right, he made the save, and then from there, he just, you know, was the same positionally sound goalie that you wanted. So it's going to help. Georgiev's going to need some time off. Um, you don't want to see Alex Alexander playing four or five games in a row, giving up four goals per game like he did the other uh, last week. So... I think this is this is a step in the right direction for their goaltending situation. Yeah, and all of those goals, you know, if we look back again, uh, yeah, you look at it and say he gives up the, the four goals, and he does. It goes on his stats, and we get it. But th- there were significant breakdowns. You know, and then the Buffalo game, there were offensive zone giveaways that led directly to goals. Uh, that got tightened up a little bit uh, in the game against St. Louis. Did that just appear to you to be a team that was rolling, and it, was, it had been very easy, and it was the tail end of a road trip, and uh, just a little bit, uh, casual, you know, we know into that into that uh, game with Okpozo hitting McCarr. Even McCarr, after the game, said that uh, basically he didn't go into the corner with full effort, and that led to part of it as well. Was that a team that just kind of was ready to get back home, or do you think there was maybe something to keep an eye on over the next few games to see if it crops back up? I think there was definitely a feeling of they were just on the road for too much. You know, just from talking to some of the guys off the record in the in the dressing room this past week at practice, like, it was a very simple, uh, you excited to be back home? And they're just, oh, God, yes. Like, they're just, yeah, I mean, they're it was right, six yeah. out of their first eight games. Yeah, six out of the first eight games, and they won six of them, and it just, it, it caught up to them eventually. So it, it was, there was a piece of that in it as well. There was a piece of just uh, needing a little bit of a reset after a couple of bad games. Um, but, you know, there was something Jack Johnson said to us at practice. He said, it's, things aren't usually as, as, great as you make them out to be and they're not usually as bad as you make them out to be so you know when they were six and oh they weren't they weren't you know riding this hot wave of like we're the best team in the world and when they lost two games in a row by four or four to nothing it was the same thing they weren't riding uh, this feeling of like it's doom and gloom and everything sucks and and i think that's the most important thing for a team like that a team that's been there that's won that has that same leadership and core group is the idea that you know when things go wrong, all you need is an extra day off, get home and reset and, and play your game. And, and the St. Louis Blues, what better team than that team for them to play their game against? They beat them 
24 of the past 30 times they've played each other, and they were able to kind of do that again and just kind of reset. Yeah, when you're talking about what Jack Johnson said, even as you're saying it, I'm like, that is a, that's a veteran thing to say right there. I mean, that's a guy that, you know, don't get too high, don't get too low. And, and the truth is when you're a really good team, when you're a Stanley Cup caliber team, sometimes getting beat 4-0 by the Buffaloes of the world is not really the worst thing in the world as long as you learn from it and you realize, look, we're going to get everyone's A game. We're, we're the avalanche. And uh, you, you, no matter how good your team is, no matter how professional your team is, no matter how well coached your team is, and the Avs are, there are there's human nature involved, and every once in a while you're going to let up. And so occasionally, you know, putting your finger on the stove and realize, oh, yeah, it's still hot, isn't the worst thing in the world for your team. And I think maybe you saw that effort when coming back to St. Louis of an effort to realize, you know, we didn't really play like avalanche hockey the way we should. We kind of wanted to show that, even with a different goaltender in net. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the most important thing that you can take away from this is, um, you know, the, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins, they want to be a great team, but they're, they're at the bottom of the Eastern Conference right now with their, one of their three victories in nine games coming against the Avs. Buffalo is a team on the rise. Those games will happen, like you said. The, you, you can count many, many times where you're going to go into a Buffalo and have a game like that. The most important thing for this team, and we're about to find out the first of many tests here, uh, well, probably the second test after opening night. I'd say opening night was a pretty reasonable test. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going on the road and playing a team in your conference that's going to challenge for the Stanley Cup uh, along with you at the top of that conference uh, in the Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, you got to go in, you got to have that kind of a game. I remember the year the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup and the year before it in 2021 when they were, you know, favorite that, you know, lost in the second round to Vegas. They constantly struggled against the Arizona Coyotes. Um, it was this feeling, look, eventually you, you don't have anything left in an 82-game schedule to pour out of your cup. And, and if, if you're running out of you know, water to pour out of your cup against the Buffaloes and the Arizonas, it is what it is. You just got to make sure you have your full energy, your full cup, and you're ready to go when you're playing the Vegases, the L.A.s. And, and the Carolinas is another one that they played at home. So uh, in the end, Nathan McKinnon, you know, another guy we spoke with yesterday, said it well. He said uh, – Somebody asked him uh, from the media how important it was to have that kind of a bounce-back game against the uh, against St. Louis because the very next game was against Vegas, and mm-hmm. he said it wasn't that important. He said if we if we beat St. Louis like we did, we're seven and two, and if we lost to St. Louis in this hypothetical scenario, we're six and three, and and either way, it's it's not a bad place to be going up against the Vegas Golden Knights team. So uh, it, it goes back to that veteran mindset. Just making sure you stay even-keeled. Don't ride the highs too high. Don't ride the lows too low. We are speaking with Mile High Sports Eric Dean Runright Eric on social media and the lead writer for the Avalanche right here at Mile High Sports. And 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 on all that is true. At the same time, they're aware, right? The Vegas Golden Knights uh, have not lost in regulation. They're 10-0-1. They're 20, 21 points. They are the class of the entire NHL. They are the team that the Avs are going to have to try to find a way to go through. Uh, you can play it coy as much as you'd like. But, but this is kind of a big statement game. You'd like to be the one to dent that armor and be the one to give them their first loss of the year, especially in their barn. The changes that Jared Bednar made, and, and let's take a look at how this might happen. You know, Riley Tufty was uh, brought up. Uh, Caleb Jones was brought up. The idea with Caleb Jones, I think, is they didn't know if McCarr and Byram could play. They both could against St. Louis. So McDermott plays and Jones sits. But uh, the, the elevation of Tufty and sort of the demotion of Tomas Tatar and Jonathan Drouin. Where do you look at, at those three guys in particular, Tufty, Tatar, and Drouin going forward? Uh, was this more of a one-off, or do you think that this is a trend that is going 
uh, to continue the way that Jared Bendar is looking at this team in the early going? Uh, determining if it's a one-off is going to be up to guys like Drouin and Tatar and, and the game as a whole. I think most Jared Bednar will never give you full honesty with this, or maybe he will to an extent without burying some of his guys. But the, um, that freeing feeling of having the options, oh, you know he loves it. You know he loves having the opportunity, you know, think back to the 2020 playoffs to say, hey, uh, it's Andre Burakovsky, guy that in the future is going to score us a uh, game one game all against the Tampa Bay Lightning. We're going to help you in the first round against the Nashville Predators because we can, because we <laughs> have options and you're not playing up to stand. And having the ability to do that, not having to trot out, no disrespect to these guys, I'm just using their names from mm-hmm. last year, the, the Alex Newhall and the, and the Sampo Ranta Whoever it is, because you have 12 healthy forwards and those are the 12 guys you're going to have to play no matter what, tough luck. You have no depth and ravaging your team. It's better to have it this way. It really, truly, genuinely does. I think I mentioned this last week when we uh, – I don't remember, but I do think about it. You know, Val Matushkin, when the Avalanche gave him an opportunity, he had two assists in mm-hmm. his 18 games, finally scoring in Toronto to – drought of a year and a half without scoring a goal in the NHL and has never looked back. So I'm not by any means saying that the Jonathan Drouin experiment is done. I'm not by any means saying that Thomas Tatar is a bust. Uh, I'm just saying that when you have the ability as a team that's six and two to say, hey, we have this kid named Riley Tufty who's got six goals in six games in the American Hockey League. We're going to reward him and you're going to be the example that we set because you're not playing up to par. It, it, it's a great feeling for a coach to have that. It keeps everybody up to the standard that they need to be at, which is a standard the Avalanche have set under Jared Bender. Yeah, and that quite simply is competing and hopefully winning the Stanley Cup. So you want to follow Arif. Of course, the season goes along. Check out everything he's doing, the podcasts and the articles, uh, all, the, all the great stuff that he puts together at Miley Sports. He is a one-man army here. So check him out. Run, right, Arif. That's A-A-R-I-F, Arif Dean. In charge of the Avalanche right here from ILS Sports. Looking forward to these uh, this game this Saturday. I'm, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see it. I'm going to be stuck because, uh, uh, well, of course, I'll be up in Boulder with the, the bus game, but I would definitely yeah. record it, and I can't wait to actually look at it because I, I, it's going to be a fascinating matchup. You're right. It's one of 82, but it, it's one where it kind of feels like you want. It's a measuring stick, and you kind of want to know yeah. where you come up. Yep, that final preseason game before I hang up here, that final preseason game against Vegas, against Vegas, where I think they lost three to two after having a two nothing lead. It's a it's a preseason game. Doesn't mm-hmm. really matter how it went down, but I've never seen two teams with more hate for each other in a preseason game like I did that. You know the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche both have the same feeling and that we want to beat these guys on the way to our second Stanley Cup. Yeah, it's, you know they have that feeling, it especially is nice. for the Avalanche. Especially for the Avalanche who didn't beat them in 2021 when they right. faced off the first time. Yeah, it, 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 I, I'm enjoying it because it feels like ever ever since the Detroit Red Wings moved over to the Eastern Conference, there hasn't been anything to replace yep. that rivalry. And the truth is, there probably nothing ever will, given the timing of the teams and the greatness of the teams at the time. But here we are with the Avalanche and the Knights alternating yep. the Cup, like the Avs and the Red Wings did back in the day, and these two teams realize they're the ones standing in each other's way there are some similarities and they are getting pretty sick of each other those rivalries are built in the playoffs they've already had that uh i think i think if, if someone asked me today you know who are the avalanche's biggest rivals i don't even blink it's the vegas golden knights and i think vegas 100, feels the same 100 percent. and and uh it's a playoff series that i want to see uh it's a playoff series that i'm sure the avalanche want to have 
fans might be nervous, but I think it would be the best thing for the game of hockey. So, yes, absolutely. No matter how much Nathan McKinnon downplays it, Jack Johnson will be better. Oh, they want to win. Yes, they they 100% want to win that game tomorrow, especially because the Vegas Golden Knights are what? You you just said it, 9-0-1 or 10-0-1 now? 10-0-1. They're 10-0-1 coming off of a Stanley Cup championship. Like, the Avs didn't do that last year. There was... There was this feeling, I remember Peter Bott, the athletic, he said something to me that really stuck out last year when I said, you know what, I'm pretty sure this team is relieved to just be done with this playoff uh, this playoff year after such a horrible injured year. And he said, I wouldn't say so because there is pride in how you defend your Stanley Cup championship and the Avalanche are embarrassed with how they defended their championship. They don't feel good about the feeling of losing in seven games to a second-year expansion team when you were the higher seed in the division winners coming off of a Stanley Cup championship. So they're looking at the Vegas Golden Knights right now and saying, we couldn't do what they're doing right now. We couldn't do that last year, and we need to be the one to end their streak. It matters truly in the heart of hearts. It matters to them. Yeah, you can be the first one to put a crack in that armor. Thanks for all the insight, Eric. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on again. All right. Thank you. Always great to talk to Arif. Run right, Arif again. A-R-I-F on social media. Give him a follow and check out everything over at Mile High Sports. The Denver Broncos are on the bye week after a big win over Kansas City. One of their former players, former captains, had a big week too. He uh, threw the Broncos a little bit of shade. I'll explain next on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. I believe every lie that I ever told. Some of you may remember, it wasn't all that long ago, a former captain and kicker for the Denver Broncos, Brandon McManus, the guy that made all 10 of his field goals in the uh, Super Bowl playoff run, the last member of the Super Bowl 50 championship at the Denver Broncos, the guy who owns the second highest overall Field goal percentage hitting 82.5 in his entire career. You know, that guy. Probably remember him, right? Also, only one of three kickers in history to have three field goals of 56 or more in a single game. Let's just say Brandon McManus is accomplished. Well, he added another one to it. Named the AFC Special Teams Player of the Month for the Jaguars. In which... uh, Quite frankly, he has deserved it. He missed his second field goal attempt of the year, and he hasn't missed since. 12 in a row against the Steelers last week, hit for 50, 51, and 38, and that's a tough place to kick, by the way, right off the river with the the wind. It was raining. It was three for three, so he ends up getting that. Now he's 19 for 21 for the season. That's 9.05. Six of seven from 50 yards or beyond. By the way, uh, Jacksonville is not at altitude, just so you know. 46 to 79 beyond 50 for a career percentage of 582 in his career. And he's now halfway already to the Jaguars record for the most field goals in a row. Gets the AFC player of the month award. Now he was released by the Broncos after nine seasons. And um, under interesting circumstances, and Sandy and I talked about this when that release happened. Some of it was salary cap. Yes, I get it. 
it's it, it you saved a small amount of salary cap space. But Brandon McManus was not making, say, Garrett Bowles money. He's a kicker. Truthfully, it has a little more to do with Sean Payton bringing in Sean Payton guys and also coaches, especially coaches who flex a lot of muscle, let's say. Really like replacing union reps. Brandon McManus, of course, the longtime union rep for the Broncos. Uh, You remove a union rep from the locker room and it puts the locker room into a little bit of disarray until they get a new union rep. That gives coaches an opportunity to kind of come in and establish the culture they want as opposed to have to integrate themselves into a culture that perhaps the union rep in the locker room had already shaped. So McManus released in part, save a couple bucks on the salary cap. Of course, it turns out that Sean Payton wanted Will Lutz anyway, a guy that he had, another Sean Payton guy, and that's who he went and got, traded for him. So they released Brandon McManus. And absolutely, absolutely, his status as the Broncos union rep had a lot to do with it, period. It happened. That's how it is. I'm just telling you. That's how it is. Um, McManus, who has been the great year, of course, and looks terrific, and he's on a team that actually has a chance of making the playoffs, today decided to instead uh, send out on his Twitter, which, by the way, it's a great follow anyway. Uh, the kid McManus is is the follow because um, he will um, – Danny and I were talking about it during the break. Brandon McManus will uh, – he will answer – tweets from fans and non-fans alike uh, directly so he's not he's a is a man of uh, a very very clear temperament and is not afraid to let you know it and he basically sent it all he did was send out a tweet retweeting the players of the month award with him of course Quincy Williams of the Jets of course the Broncos know how that worked out Tyreek Hill of the uh, Dolphins you may notice a pattern by the way perhaps <clears throat> The other two guys, uh, Broncos helped them out a little bit when you're talking about a couple of things towards there. And the Broncos apparently helped Brandon McManus out too, all three of them, I guess, because they sent him to a spot where he's on a better team. He instead sent a gif of someone walking away from someone disgustedly with the caption, you washed up. (laughs) Which he is obviously not because he's a kicker, first and foremost, and he's 32. I don't, I don't know how, how, if you've noticed how long kickers go in this league, but 32 is not old for a kicker. McManus had plenty left in the tank. That was a, a Sean Payton move because he wanted his guy. I think it was a mistake. Now Will Lutz is stabilized and seems to be fine. So that's good. But I, I'm, I'm just very happy for Brandon McManus, who I think did not, when in the, the Sean Payton moves, did not get a fair shake or a good look. I think Peyton had decided right off the bat, like, well, got to get that guy out. He's not my guy, and he's the union rep, and we can argue because we'll save a couple bucks on the cap. And, uh, okay, so McManus is out. Well, okay, good. Well, the Broncos did him a favor. And that's the funny part. Deshaun Peyton was out here saying, you know, oh, well, I'll be upset if we're not a playoff team. Well, everyone who knew anything about anything, with all due respect, anybody who wasn't a cheerleader, that includes this show, and quite frankly, it includes most of the people on this station, told you flat out the Broncos are not a playoff team. They're not even going to be a team with a winning record, and they weren't, and they're not. They're 3-5, and five, dead last in the AFC West. Now they beat the Chiefs, and that's good. Maybe that leads to something. They've moved on from some of the older guys in like Frank Clark and Randy Gregory and going to committing to youth, which is good, even if it turns out 
that some of these starts with Jonathan Cooper or Nick Benito or Baron Browning, if, if they're not sustainable, I suspect some of the things that they did against the Chiefs will work against the Chiefs, but not against other teams. We'll find out because when they come back from the break, they go to Buffalo to play the Bills. But the Broncos are 3-5. and five. They didn't make any trades, which tells you flat out they believe that they're riding the ship. Okay. Admittedly, their schedule does get a little easier than it looked because injuries and other things have impacted the remainder of their schedule. I'll, I'll agree with that. I don't think they're beating Buffalo, but could they beat Minnesota? Yeah, okay. Minnesota's here. They're having to adjust the loss of Kirk Cousins. Yeah, that was essentially a guaranteed loss until the Cousins injury. His Cousins was also playing terrific. And now maybe that's, maybe that's winnable. Uh, Cleveland is tough. Deshaun Watson is being Deshaun Watson, which means you don't know if he's going to play or not play or if he's hurt or not hurt or whatever he's doing. But Cleveland's defense is the best in the league. They're the best. And I'm not sure how the Broncos can score double-digit points on them just yet, so I, I don't know. But maybe they got a puncher's chance. Houston, C.J. Stroud looks good, but Houston's not that good yet. You have two with the Chargers. They always seem to split with the Chargers because the Chargers are peculiar. Detroit, no, no, they're going to get beat by Detroit. New England, could they beat New England? Sure. And Vegas, they were 3-5, and five, same as the Broncos, and they decided to clean house. Josh McDaniels is out. Dave Ziegler, GM, out. Offensive coordinator, out. Antonio Pierce taking over as head coach. The guy who sure looked like he wanted out, Devontae Adams. He spoke highly of Pierce. That's at least the most important thing for Pierce right off the bat. Coming from linebackers coach. So, yeah, all of a sudden, Minnesota, Cleveland, Houston, one of the Chargers games. Patriots, Raiders, they all become potentially winnable games. And so you look at it and go, well, yeah, well, there you go. You win that, and now you're in the playoffs. But the thing is, that's not how sports works, not how football works. They're not going to win all those games. They're not. Just because they have a chance to win those games, that probably means they will win some of those games and lose some of those games. So realistically, out of the eight remaining games, let's say they, they do very well, and they win four. They finish four and four. Okay, that that would be a good way to wrap up the year, but they're three and five, so yeah, they're not gonna make the playoffs. I, it, it, they're not a playoff team, but you know who is Jacksonville Jaguars and Brandon McManus because they're six and two, and nobody else in their dumpster fire division even has a winning record. So McManus gets the last laugh. Good for him. I'm glad he does. He deserves it. I think that's great. Congratulations to AFC Player of the Month for Brandon McManus. As I pointed out, the Broncos had influence on every single one of the AFC winners. Offense, defense, and special teams. Uh, Two directly at their expense, and the other because they just decided they want to cut him. Well, the biggest game of the year is going to go on whether the local squad's in it or not, and you can go courtesy of Superbook Sports. That's right. Superbook will fly you and a friend to Las Vegas for February's championship game. They'll also give you two tickets to the game and a three-night hotel stay. Well, that's pretty awesome. So what do you have to do? Well, I'm glad you asked because, of course, I was going to tell you. All you have to do is place a $25 same-game parlay between now and January 7th, and you're automatically entered to win. So wager and win a super trip to Las Vegas courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Denver Nuggets will tip off their first game of the, uh, I love the title for it for the NBA at the moment, the in-season tournament. 
That, that is literally the title. And the winner gets the NBA Cup. The billboards, your name here, posted by the NBA. We'll try to make some sense of it as we have the uh, social media, YouTube world, and radio world combined. It's the man known as Swiper joins us next on Miley Sports. Nice and in a low, conversations with